Like I said, I grew up in Buffalo. My dad worked at the steel plant. We just didn't know people who owned businesses. That wasn't like something that was on our radar growing up. And I have been married 18 years. We eloped in Las Vegas, and I had plastic flowers that were rented at the chapel. No. For the 10 minutes that it took us to get married, I rented them, and then I handed them off to a pregnant teen who was also waiting to get married. So, Are you kidding me? No, I am not kidding. It was long before I was into flowers, so I don't feel as bad. But yes, the flowers were plastic and rented. Hey, Baltimore. So there's certainly been a movement towards sustainability, and thank God because the earth is melting. But this week's guest talked about ethically and locally sourcing something I hadn't thought much about, which are flowers. Ellen Frost stopped by the studio to talk about her company, Local Color Flowers, and their mission to only source from within 100 miles of Baltimore. She also told us why Carnation suddenly fell out of favor in the late 80s and has nothing to do with how they look and had everything to do with cocaine. Enjoy this conversation with Ellen. I love this image. Well, I mean, this pregnant teen, I hope everything's turned out well I for hope her. so. Her parents were with her, so I don't oh. know if they were, you know, forcing her to be married or a, just... A little bit of a shotgun? Yeah. Yes. With mm-hmm. those plastic flowers? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And what a... Um, what a brilliant business tactic. Totally. To, to I think rent like, plastic yes, flowers. I think we should go to the courthouse and rent flowers all the time. I'm you like, should. that totally could be a business. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You, you don't need do them that. for more than that t- much time. No. You know, if you're just like, if you're having a short little ceremony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Ooh, that's so brilliant. <laughs> it's in the back of my, on my list of things to, you know, oh think about. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, how did local color flowers start? Um, well. Or I guess I should ask, oh, when, okay. when did you get into flowers? If you... Yes. Did not care about them at your wedding. I did not care about them at my which wedding. Which might be when most normal people only yes, care about them. Yes, that is the one time in your <laughs> life that you normally do care about flowers. But not you. But not me. I did not care about them at that point. Um, well, I moved to Baltimore in 1999, and I had never um, really lived anywhere where there were flowers. I mean, there were flowers, but I grew up in Buffalo. Okay. You know, we were a steel town. I lived in the city. There was like a little small yard in my house, but nobody, I mean, you just mowed the lawn once a week. Nobody had flowers right. really in our neighborhood. Um, it's just like a depressing tableau. Right. Of, like, it there is. Flowers it did, it totally <laughs> is. Um, and then I lived in San Francisco in an apartment and, you know, there's not a lot of green space. There's more green space now, but 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of green space where we lived. Mm-hmm. Um and then I moved to Baltimore, and I, uh, my husband and I bought a row home in Butchers Hill, and we had a tiny little yard. And we were gifted a bag of tulips for our wedding um, by his great aunt, like a 90-year-old. Was she making a point, like, here are some flowers? I don't, I don't know if she knew about the plastic flowers. Oh, okay. So she might have just liked flowers herself. Um, and tulips are, like, the easiest flower to grow, so they were really great. Like, you just literally put them in the ground in the fall and in the spring they bloom super easy so i was like oh i think i like gardening now (laughs) because you know how hard can it be to just put something in the ground and see it grow um they're gateway flower they are total gateway flower i agree um so i was like oh maybe i should learn more about gardening now that i have a yard i mean it was literally a row house yard you know it's not like a acre of land it was like a tiny little yard um so I signed up for the Master Gardening Program at Silburn um, through the uh, Maryland Extension Services. So that is a 40-hour training and then 40-hour hands-on um, 
they call it volunteer work, but it's required for your for your certification. So it's 80 hours of training about plants. And what were you doing prior to this? My background's in affordable housing development. Oh, okay. So I did that Whoa. for... Pivot. Yeah, mm-hmm, to- it had nothing to do with anything. Um, no relation to flowers at all. Um, I worked in affordable housing development in San Francisco for many years when I lived there and then here in Baltimore when I moved. Um, and so I was doing that full time. Mm-hmm. I worked for a developer, a nonprofit developer here in Baltimore called Episcopal Housing Corporation. And... Liked that work and liked community sort of development work. Um, But when I took the master gardening class, I was like, oh, there's like people that make their living growing things. Like it was so foreign to me and it felt so like, oh, you're so city and so not – but I had never like I had never gone to a farm before. I'd never met a farmer before. It just it wasn't part of my upbringing. This is like your Technicolor like yeah. Wizard it of was Oz like moment. <laughs> and I really just like fell in love with it. I fell in love with farmers. I fell in love with farming and flowers, and never really went the route that I think a lot of people who get into gardening and farming, um, in terms of like vegetables and vegetable gardening and food justice stuff like I care about that stuff but that was never like where my passion was I really fell in love with flowers pretty quickly Mm -hmm. Um, and I started working part-time on a farm in Baltimore County and I was like maybe I want to be a farmer what farm is it Uh, it's called Bridenbaugh Farm Um, it's just in Glenarm and I really then thought before I started that farming could be something I could do and then I farmed and I was like oh, no, I am not cut out for farming. I'm, um, yeah, farming is really hard. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. Oh, yeah. And we didn't even farm our own land. And I was like, this is not for me. Farming is so hard. I mean, I have such respect for our farmers. Um, I knew, I farmed at that farm for three years part-time. But I knew pretty quickly that that was not going to be the road that I took. Um, But I knew then that I wanted to, be involved with farmers and farming. Um, it was something that I w- had become really passionate about. I just wasn't really sure how to do that if I wasn't farming myself. Um, and then at the same time, you know, a few things kind of happened at once. Um, a lot of my friends were getting married, you know, that age of um, getting married, you know, late 20s, and everybody was getting flowers for their weddings. But we my friends and I, now that we knew farmers, we were like, well, it seems crazy to buy flowers from South America or Central America when we have farmers like down the street that are growing flowers. Why not buy them from them? Um, and so for a bunch of friends, we bought flowers from farmers we knew and put them in mason jars. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're florists. Um, That's all there is to it, right? Right. It's so easy. <laughs> Uh, so that was sort of happening at the same time. Master gardening was happening at the same time. Um, I got like a, early two thousands. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the business started officially in two thousand eight. So in those like sort of six years, what an interesting year to start a business. Yeah. Right. When wow. nobody has any money and <laughs> <laughs> the economy is crashing, and yeah, it was a great it was a great time to start a business. So in those years, sort of leading up to it. Um, I also got a master's in business from Loyola and had taken um, an entrepreneurship class. And that was really the first time that I thought about entrepreneurship, like, in in a serious way. Um, Like I said, I grew up in Buffalo. My dad worked at the steel plant. We just didn't know people who owned businesses. That wasn't, like, something that was on our radar growing up. Sure. Um, 
you, you know, became a teacher or a fireman or... I also um, think, like, access to knowing that anybody could do that was different than, you know, you didn't I, have... I almost feel like I didn't know that until I took that class. Sure. Until I was, like, 25 years old. Yeah. And I was like, wait. Oh, you can just... Anyone can start a right. business? <laughs> and not only anyone can start a business, but you can make, like, a positive impact in the world by having a business. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, like, so foreign to me. I just thought, oh, business is bad and right. business is big. And I just never really pictured a business that I could own that could also have a social impact. Um, so that was the first time that that sort of really hit me. Yeah. Um, and that all came together um, with a book that came out around that time by Amy Stewart, who is a garden writer and a garden blogger. And she wrote really, I think, the seminal book on the cut flower industry um, called Flower Confidential. And it really was like the first comprehensive look at the flower in the worldwide flower industry. And at the end of the book, she sort of um, presented some options for the ways that this broken system could be fixed. And one of the ways she talked about was um, sort of going back to the old ways of being a florist and being farmers and, you know, buying locally and sourcing locally and knowing your farmers and selling to people you know. And, um, and so those things all sort of came together at the same time and really um, said to be. No, yeah, it it came together. The the there was a path I think that I could see um, for local color flowers to start. Mm-hmm. And do you uh, you still live in Butcher's Hill? No, uh, I live right by the Senator Theater in Lake Walker. Okay, mm-hmm. so that was my question: was do you live close? Like, how did you choose the neighborhood where you yeah. are, and, and how did how did that all? Yeah, come so to our me? shop is in Charles Village. Um, it's actually borders Waverly and Charles Village. Um, we're on a little alley street behind like Pete's Grill or Melba's, if you're familiar with Melba's. Um, right by the Waverly Farmers Market and the book thing and the book thing and Normals. We've got a lot of great stuff. You stuff really right around do. us. That's yeah, a it's a great neighborhood. Um, and we're in an alley, um, so we're not on like Greenmount, which is like the main thoroughfare, Waverly Main Street. Um, so we're tucked away a little bit, which is good because we're not open all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been terrific. It's been a really lovely place. We've been there seven years now in that space. So when we first started the business, uh, we just worked out of my house, which for one year was fine but after that was a nightmare did your house smell amazing were the flowers um, stored there um i mean it was sort of crazy you know there's no like cooler except my refrigerator well that was my next question right so every week i would like take all the food out of the refrigerator oh my, my husband was like what are you doing like why is the milk and the egg you know like uh and then for like big stuff we didn't have air conditioning in our house, so we put, like, a window unit in, like, the spare bedroom and stored everything in there. Oh, my God. So I have read that the longest way to keep cut flowers going mm-hmm. is to put them in the refrigerator at night. Yes. Is that true? So, yes, keeping them cool at night will make them last longer. Okay. However, if you have produce in the refrigerator with the flowers. Okay. Which my refrigerator happens to have. Okay. <laughs> so produce gives off a gas called ethylene. And ethylene actually causes flowers to die faster, <gasps> which is also crazy because if you go to any grocery store, what is together in the grocery store? Produce and flowers. Yes, always. It's insane. <gasps> it does not make any sense. I feel – All of the produce gives off ethylene, which basically kills flowers. 
does Whole Foods know about this? <laughs> Everybody knows. I don't. What are they doing? I don't know. Oh it's God. very strange. It is. It is a conundrum that I. I don't have an answer for. Well, I feel like a fool. I believe that article, and I like. I always <laughs> they just didn't. They just didn't tell you that one little caveat, which is that that it's that they're that lying. They're, they can't have produce, right? <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, so your flowers were thriving in your hothouse, maybe they were. Yeah, they were probably fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the first year, um, we moved out of my house because that was nuts, and we worked in uh, Mount Vernon in a little space. Actually, I still had a full time job then, and my boss gave me. Um, a, a room in his building, in his construction building. Oh, my gosh. Um, which was full of trash when I first moved in there. And this is in Mount Vernon? Yeah, okay. mm-hmm, on St. Paul Street, 1307 St. Paul. Um, it was just a little tiny room full of trash uh, we, that we took out and used but no as produce. a workspace. <laughs> so no produce, fine. and it wasn't at my house. It okay. was separate from my house, which is all I needed. Um, so I did that for two years. We quickly grew out of that space. Um and then we got a space in Hamden, uh, right on Falls Road and 41st Street. And that worked for us for a couple of years. And then um, we had to – we 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 outgrew that space. We also had to quickly move out of that space because our landlord was being arrested oh. and um, his assets were being seized. So we had to, you know, quick – Quick, sure. get out of there. Um, and we had been wanting to buy a space for a while. We wanted to have a space that was our own that we could really customize for what we were looking for. But the kind of space that we were looking for, surprisingly, is not easy to find in Baltimore. Um, we wanted like a one-story building. Um, and there's lots of warehouse space available, but it's all like way too big for us. Mm. So um, the space we found... Uh, is 2,000 square feet. It's one story. It's great. It was a former garage. It, it looks like a garage. Um, it was owned by the same family since it was built 100 years ago. Oh, wow. And they have lived in Charles Village their whole lives. Um, and I love that about Baltimore real estate. Oh, it, my gosh. It can be frustrating when yes. <laughs> we were house hunting briefly. And mm-hmm. if you've had one family in one space and they didn't yes. keep up with the times, it's a little mm-hmm. – but I love that – I don't know that there are a ton of cities that have that – History, yeah, where yeah. it's passed down and and, and, and maintained. And our we had been looking for a few months for a space, and it was just really serendipity that we found this space. We were looking at another space, it, which was not working out. And we went outside after the inspection, and a guy was walking by, and he said, "Oh, are you trying to buy this building?" And I said, "Yeah, but it's not right. It doesn't work for what we need." I said, "I just want a building like that one across the street, just a garage." you know, a garage-looking building, one story. And he was like, oh, I own that building, and my wife and I want to retire, and maybe we could sell it to you. Are you serious? And my husband and I met him and his wife for dinner at Atwater's that night, made the deal that night. And my husband will tell you, I was so anxious. I was like, I want this building so bad that when they said yes, like to the offer, I burst out crying. And everybody was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, it's just, this is the space. This is the place we were supposed to be. just ran to this guy in the street. And And in one day, day, made a deal. Yeah, it was crazy. That's wonderful. Um, The the unique thing about this space is that it was built over 100 years ago. It had been, like I said, in this family for that long. It was originally a horse stable. Um, it was a potato chip factory. And then it burned down when oh it was gosh. a potato chip factory, mostly burned down. It was rebuilt. And then it was a car, like an auto garage. 
um, where they put the first car radios in cars. Oh. It was called Radio Smith, and they um, put the first car radios in cars, which was pretty cool. They also had – I know Mr. Smith told me that they had the first TV in the neighborhood and that everybody in the neighborhood would come over and watch TV in this little garage space. And then it was an antique store, and then it was full of junk for a lot of years until we bought it. And we did a full renovation of it, and um, it still retains sort of a look of a garage from the outside. Yeah, um, which is great because when you walk by, we've come by on the Saturday morning mm-hmm. sort of open house that you yeah. do, mm-hmm. and it's so inviting because the the doors are just wide open. Yeah, there's feel. big garage doors, yeah. um, and it's great for us because it has there's it's a, it's very flexible space, so we can pull the van inside if we're loading for a wedding or if it's raining we can have the doors open if we're open for customers mm-hmm. um, if we're working during the week and we it's warm and sunny we can have the doors open or we have air conditioning and heat and everything so working in there winter or summer is fine um, so the space has been just perfect for us mm-hmm. it's really lovely I love it there and we're never growing out of it the business is as big as it's going to be as long as it can fit in this space <laughs> we're not moving again you're like a hermit crab yeah totally so you brought a beautiful bouquet thanks yes and i was wondering if you can give this is a podcast obviously it's hard to see sure i can totally describe that okay (laughs) that bouquet (laughs) i or or describe the bouquet but just how did you put it together Mm -hmm. i mean if you are uh, i I was telling you a story earlier about my sister-in-law's wedding she forgot a bouquet and (laughs) i had to sort of rearrange a uh very inexpensive bouquet of flowers right. that, yes and I just kind of went with my instinct I just sort of put mm-hmm. things I wanted to look full I wanted it to the colors to kind of make sense but beyond that mm-hmm. I mean if someone's rearranging flowers what do you recommend sure so for us um, I'll tell you first a couple things unique about our flowers because um, everything we use is locally sourced so everything comes from farms within a hundred miles of Baltimore um, and that's year-round so even in the Zero degree weather last week. Um, we had local flowers. These are um, from. These were grown within a hundred miles in the winter. Baltimore today. They are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! So uh, quite a few of them were grown in Maryland, and maybe half of them were grown in Pennsylvania. Um, but yeah, year round, and and we say a hundred miles when it's in season. So that's maybe like field season, so June through October. Most of our flowers come from within about 20 miles of Baltimore. Um, We have lots of growers close by. We actually have a really vibrant cut flower industry in Maryland, which I think a lot of people don't know about or aren't aware of. There's probably at least 60 cut flower farms in the state of Maryland. I had no idea. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. Are they only available to... No. No? Oh. No. So they're, they're all different. So some... Only sell at farmers markets. Some only sell to florists. Mm-hmm. Some only sell to wholesalers. Uh, some only grow in the winter. Some only grow in the summer. Like everybody's got their thing. Um, we have right now. We only have one, not only one, but we have one amazing cut flower grower in Baltimore City. Um, that's Helen Homestead, and she has been growing in the city for about five years now. Where um, in the city? So she's just one mile away from our shop, which is really convenient. Uh, She's right by Lake Montebello, um, Hillen in like 28th or 29th. And is it a warehouse? Or I mean, how does that? Nope. It is uh, like a vacant lot. 
uh, and actually she has two spots, but this is the main one, um, that was, I don't know, maybe five row houses uh, that she has cultivated to just be a cut flower farm. And she, because, and, and it's so different because growing in the city, you have to be really conscious of space because it's not like you're out in a 25 acre. We have we have growers. We have a grower on the eastern shore, Seaberry Farm. They've got, I don't know, 35 acres. So they are not worried about crowding things into a small amount of space. If you're on a quarter acre in, you know, the center of Baltimore, you have to be a little more conscious of how you grow things. So uh, there's lots of succession planting, which means you are planting a crop, cutting it, pulling it out immediately, planting something else in its place, cutting it, putting something else in its place. And you can get, you know, several successions throughout the year. So you're really just like working the land as much as you can in that small amount of space. All Um, year. And she specifically is all year? So she, no, she starts with tulips, which will start maybe mid-March. And then because she's in the city, um, we have microclimates here, so it's a lot warmer in Baltimore City even than it is in Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. So Baltimore County frost date might be mid-October. That's around when our zone's frost date is. But last year, we didn't have frost in Baltimore City till almost Thanksgiving. So we're going in the city almost right through the holidays. Wow. Um, so we're getting still cut fresh flowers from the city right through Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and then once – and this is just like weather-wise – once – we hit frost, then our growers, who we buy from sort of changes. Then we start to look at people who have hoop houses, who have heated greenhouses, who are doing forced branches. Like it changes for mm-hmm. us. It's kind of constantly changing. But seasonally, um, that's a that's a change point for us when we hit frost because um, people are no longer growing outside. Have you been um, affected or have, I guess the growers uh, been affected by all the crazy weather? Yes. Yeah. The weather is crazy. It's. I mean, it's... And it will continue to be crazy. It's just going to get crazy. Yeah, it is not going to get better. No. Um, yeah, and it is a conversation that within the flower farming and local flower communities, um, the conversations are happening more and more about what to do. Last year, as you know, we had record rain. So um, we had farms that were flooded. We had farmers that lost entire crops of dahlias because they were too wet and too moldy and rotted. Um, so the pro- the challenge is that each year is bad and different. It's not like every year it's rainy so we can just figure bad, out bad, what to bad do. and different. Right. We can't just do something about the rain because then the next year might be a drought or 100 degrees every day or right. – um, there's not really any predicting sort of how that's going to go. So there has been a lot of talk, um, not really many solutions, but a lot of talk about what to do about the weather. Sure. Um, and, you know, that has been – weather has always been a challenge for farmers. Um, it's just, I think, more and more so. Um, well, yeah, because you can't – it used to be like, oh, October is cool. But like, right. last year I feel like October was kind of hot for a little right. while. Right. And, <laughs> you know, like last year we had um, – last spring we had some really warm weather like in February – which made those it was like 83 right and so all of like the fruit trees started to bud up because it was like so warm and then we had a frost and a freeze which made all those buds die which basically means you get no fruit on those trees for the whole season then because those buds have been killed so 
Yeah, it's farming is really hard. I know someone who saw a caterpillar last uh-huh. week. Oh, yeah, right. It's the middle of winter. <laughs> it's just not right. But it was like so cold and then it heated up in the caterpillar. I was like, here we go. Yeah. And nope, it's cold again. Yeah, it is really, it's very challenging. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that we do source our flowers locally, getting back to these flowers, um, is significantly different, unfortunately, still than most traditional florists because most florists are um, shipping in flowers. 80% of the flowers sold in the United States come from South America, South and Central America. Um, The largest flower producing countries are Colombia and Ecuador and then um, Holland and Kenya. So they're like equatorial – yeah, they're like equatorial countries that have um, pretty – pretty mild climate that don't change a lot. So they can control a lot more than we can. Yeah. Um, and so the majority of flowers that you see in flower shops and in grocery stores and all the places that you normally buy flowers um, are, are mostly coming from those places. So the decision to, to only source locally um, was was unique when we started. And I thought that by now – 12 years later, it wouldn't be, but it still is. I was wondering um, if there's been a movement toward that because – There is. There definitely is, which is great. They're actually – so the sort of what people are now calling the slow flowers movement. Um, it's a national movement and there are you know more flower farmers than there have been in the last 20 years and um, more florists sourcing some of their flowers locally. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of folks – Sourcing 100% locally, there just isn't a lot out there. There's like us in Baltimore in Maryland. There's um, a place called Little Acre in D.C. Um, there's a place called Pine State in North Carolina. So there's like one every state. <laughs> so to your knowledge, you are the only 100% local. 100%. What? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, good for you, but that's astounding. <laughs> wow. It's um, And the thing is, you know, it's not – Easy. That's. I mean, that's why sure. people don't do it. Sure. You can. You know, most traditional florists order their flowers from a wholesaler. They order from one place, and their flowers get shipped to them in boxes, and they open them up, and everything's there. There's no logistical anything. Right. For us, we're like going to farms. All farmers logistics. are coming to us. <laughs> right. The the logistics is all logistics, um, and you know, people who have been brought up in a traditional florist format just. You know, it's easier. Totally. Yeah. And I and I understand that. Do you find that your clients are attracted to your model? Is that is that I think, where interest kind of peaks? Yeah. Maybe? So when we started, we only did weddings. We really started as a wedding florist, and most of the people coming to us were coming specifically because we were sourcing locally. There wasn't anything out there like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been sort of interesting as we've gone through the years is that. People now come to us because they like our style or they like how our stuff looks um, without knowing a lot about locally sourced stuff. Mm -hmm. So before, I think we were doing education to the general public and not so much to our wedding clients, but now even more to our wedding clients than we we had been before. Mm -hmm. And sourcing locally, especially for weddings, is unique because this is also why traditional florists aren't necessarily interested in doing this model, you use whatever is available that week. Um, We never use roses. Roses don't grow locally. Um, We don't have orchids. Yeah, I don't either. 
we don't have a lot of the traditional wedding flowers. Um, and so – Do you have plastic flowers? We don't even no. have plastic <laughs> flowers, unfortunately. No. Although that could be a – that could be like a, a recycled plastic. That could be a that could be a model. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so sourcing locally is just like a unique thing in that you don't really get to know for a wedding but what you're going to so get. But that's so cool. I, I think, think so too. You would definitely have to be a certain kind of bride. Yes, and a certain kind of bride's mother. Oh, oh, yeah. It's not often the bride that is the challenge in that situation. Yeah. Because parents are like, "What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm paying so much money, and you're not." Telling me what I'm getting until you show up at the wedding? Like, that sounds great. You know, that's just nuts. Well, I was telling you, I, I didn't think about flowers until, I mean, 10 days before mm-hmm. our wedding. And I was lucky my mother-in-law and my stepmom were very cool with whatever. I, well, they, they, I think one of them was like, oh, what flowers are you? And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. What do you mean? <laughs> flowers. Because um, we did potted plants um, as uh-huh. uh D- decoration and then yeah. people could take them home. It's a great eco-friendly yeah. alternative. We tried. They yeah. were not locally sourced. I can't that's confirm okay. that. Yeah, that's all right. But um, yeah, I didn't think about it. I mean, it just yeah. And, and then I, I also I had calla lilies. I doubt that mm-hmm. those were they're from the Dutch Connection, which you oh yeah it. yeah mm-hmm. yeah they're still around. Are they, are they still yeah? In... They have a new name though. Oh um, okay, okay. It's called like Dutch Floral Garden. I think they're called. Okay, but still in Belvedere. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, we've they're still there. there. In a while. Yeah, uh, and she was like, I think appalled, and then very helpful. It <laughs> <laughs> really? was like, okay, flower emergency. You're ten days away, and let's yeah. focus here. Yep. Um, but I, I was lucky to have control, like creative control over that. Yeah. But I also think the excitement of th- that being a little bit of a surprise for the bride mm-hmm. and for I the think, groom. You know, I for me, cool. I think it's great because. I think most people don't know a lot about flowers. And so when they come in, they're like, oh, I know roses, so I guess I want roses. And I'm like, you don't – roses are not what you want. Like there's so many beautiful flowers available. Mm-hmm. You just – and it's okay if you don't know about them. Like right. we're here to help you. We're here to guide you in that sort of process. Yep. Um, Do people give you color schemes? Yeah. So yeah. we work within a color palette and a style. So if you want like a really round – you know, country club, ballroom kind of bouquet mm-hmm. or style, we can do that. If you're getting married in a barn or a woods and you want like a really wild, crazy, like yeah. wild bouquet, we can do that too. Um, if I wasn't so in love with my husband, <laughs> it would be like worth divorcing him just <laughs> to, to have get another again. wedding because mm-hmm. I, lo- I would love that sweet surprise on that morning. I think so too. And I also think like especially nowadays, there are lots of people who are getting married who – you know, really love local stuff and love Baltimore and love being in the city and want to buy local and want to use their mm-hmm. money to support things that they care about. Um, it is a it is a wonderful snapshot of Maryland at on that day. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to say this is what our city looks like today. Um, so well, that's lovely. Yeah, I mean, I I think it is. I think it's great. I think, and I do think our clients like that a lot. Sure. Um, well, let's say. So this well, is what Maryland looks like this today. Is, I know I love. We'll, we'll, we'll post this on Instagram so everybody knows. Yeah, on February seventh, this was Maryland. Yeah, Maryland looks beautiful. It does look beautiful. Yeah, and, and so what would you recommend? I mean, if you if you're coming in uh, again, you it's every Saturday that you have an open. Yeah, so we're open to the public um, for just walk in walk in business for walk in traffic on Saturday mornings eight to noon, mm-hmm. and Wednesday nights four to eight. Okay, so twice a week. Um, which we always laugh. We met somebody once at Artscape, and my, I had a hat on, a local color flowers hat on. And they're like, oh, you're that flower shop that's never open. I'm like, no, we are open. Just 
weird days and weird hours. So rude. Um, yeah, it was like, um, we are open, just not all the time. Um, because we work on other stuff. We have weddings. We are doing corporate events. You know, we do other stuff. Um, so we're open Saturday mornings 8 to noon and Wednesdays 4 to 8. And you can come in and you can just pick stems to take home with you. Or on Wednesdays specifically, you can stay and make a vase arrangement. You can come with your friends. You can bring wine and snacks and spend the night. Um, it's a lot of fun. And the great thing is that every week the flowers change mm-hmm. because whatever is available changes. Um, so it never gets boring, I don't think. Um, and so in terms of like snapshot of, of so, sort of Maryland right now and how to arrange those things, um, for us, we always start our designs with foliage. So we think about foliage just like we think of flowers. I know there's lots of florists and even people who buy flowers a lot who just think of foliage as like, oh, that's like the extra that you stick in at the end and nobody really cares about it. I never thought to start with it, but – and I have to admit, I am like a Whole Foods flower Oh, buyer. yeah. That's good. Whole Foods has a, lots of lo- – they have lots they, of local they stuff. They do have like Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, Maybe they got, I'm not terrible. They've got some good local stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm always drawn to the, the – I always call it the green stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess foliage yeah. is the right yeah. word. But I, I – as often as I can try to incorporate this, but I never thought to put it in first. So we generally start with that first just to give ourselves a base mm-hmm. um, to put the flowers in. And also because our f- our arrangements are pretty foliage heavy, um, we want to sort of green everything first and then use the flowers really um, as accents to that. Mm-hmm. So today we started with eucalyptus, which is a, a fragrant herb, and um, rosemary, which I have some rosemary in right there. Here. Yeah. Yep. And so we started with those. That's so good. And then also, I know. So like this is a very, th- I know, right? <laughs> like French fries from Brewer's Art. Um, this, this arrangement is really fragrant. And part of what is so great about buying local is that, and this is like probably more than you will ever want to know about fragrance and flowers. Um, most flowers that were fragrant once are no longer fragrant. Like in the world? In the world. Okay, okay. Not like not it, was, these. it smelled good yesterday, but no, not no. today. You mean in the history Like of- roses yes. have a scent. They're, they're normally scented. But when you go to like the grocery store and you smell roses, they don't have a scent anymore. No. Um, that's the same with carnations, which I can tell you a little bit more about carnations. But there were lots of these flowers that had fragrance before, and they've had fragrance bred out of them. I know. It's terrible. It's horrible. Does it affect their shelf life or something? It makes them live longer. So when the South American growers are shipping flowers from 5,000 miles away, they don't care if they smell good. They want them to live as long as possible. So when they cut them off the – when they cut them on the farm, they've maybe got – they could have five, six, seven days before they get to where they're going. So they want them to live as long as possible. They don't care about smell. So they've bred scent out of them so that they can keep living longer out of water in a box until they get to you. Is this like there are no more bees? The bees are a little different. Okay. Um, but so what's the first thing you do when you get flowers is you like stick your nose in them. You smell them, right? And so um, one of the great things about buying locally is that we don't have that same um, distance challenge. We are not shipping things from 5,000 miles away. Our flowers come from 
literally like the next town over. Mm -hmm. So in terms of vase life and scent, we can have scented flowers and still have great vase life um, because they are like legit cut in the morning, brought to our shop and given to a client that day. Um, And so one of the one of the flowers that I'm going to just I know people can't smell them. I wish you could. You can come over and smell them. Um, So this is a carnation. And I know lots of people are like, oh, carnations, they're so terrible. Um, But carnations used to be a huge cut flower in the United States. And in the 80s when – well, there's – that's another story. There was sort of a revolt where they're like – The South American – so what happened was um, Colombia was exporting like cocaine to the United States. And the United States wanted them to stop doing that Mm -hmm. and Ecuador and other places too. And so what they did was create a a tax-free situation for those countries to sell flowers to us with no no tax. And so what that did was bring a whole lot of really cheap flowers into the United States, which put – the majority of flower farms out of business in the 80s in the United States. It almost collapsed the entire flower industry in the United States. And so carnations was one of the flowers that were grown in the United States for for decades. Um, South America sort of took that over. Most of the carnation growers were lost in the United States. There's only a handful left. One of them is in Pennsylvania. And they're the last grower in the country to grow this variety of carnation. I always thought it was like a snobbery thing. No. I did not know it was they're a just cocaine gone. thing. Yeah, they're just gone. <laughs> um, and so this carnation actually is still scented. So carnations right. were originally scented. And when you smell them. Okay. It kind uh-huh. of smells Christmassy. It's like cloves. Yes. Yeah, it's like cinnamony. What? Cloves. It's also this, I mean, absolutely beautiful fuchsia color. And do you want to smell this? Oh, my God. It does smell like exactly it's, like cloves. Right. It's what? Right. So I <laughs> feel like one of the things is people would like carnations more if they still smelled like that. I. Why isn't this a Christmas flower? I know. That's We should start that. We totally. Should. I'm saying we. I'm including myself in this. Yeah. You should start that. <laughs> so uh, that is, that is for me, one of, like, the best things about sourcing locally is that you have fragrant flowers. That is, that is what – fragrance in flowers is what sort of evokes all of these memories for us, right? Like your, how your flowers smelled on your wedding day, how your flowers smelled in your grandma's yard. Like all these things that we huh. remember about flowers is because of the scent, not often because of how they looked or – what they looked like in a vase, but how they smelled and how they made us feel. So to take that away, to me, just like obviously does make flowers seem less interesting. Mm-hmm. But when they smell like this, I feel like that brings back all of those all of those memories. Well, every time I have a hot toddy from now on, I'm going to think of you <laughs> and these cloves. <laughs> They're really, really good. Um, I mean, I it's like when they say space smells like bacon. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> no. like, okay, apparently outer <laughs> really? space smells like bacon. Oh my gosh! This is my outer space. Yes. smells like bacon moment where <laughs> where carnations now smell like cloves. I had no idea. <laughs> yep. Um, what are these? Are they, they look kind of like peonies, but but really layered and frilly? And this one, yes, also a carnation. That is not a carnation. Does yep. it smell like cloves? It does not smell, okay. but it's called tropical butterfly. It is the cutest little cut carnation ever, yeah. I think. Um, both of those carnations are grown in Pennsylvania at a place called Hendrix Flowers. 
They're a hundred-year-old flower farming family. They're growing in glass greenhouses. Yeah, um, yeah it's very cool. Um, and then the other things we have, and just in terms of how we would arrange them, like I said, we start with foliage, and then the other thing, sort of, we put in next is any of our like largest flowers. So things that are going to take up the most room. So in this case, this is stock, and we have some snapdragons, and those sort of fill in for us. Um, and then we're going to put in more like focal flowers, which are anemones. And these are grown just in Jarrettsville, um, just right up Jarrettsville That's Pike. That's where I live. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I know. That's where I grew up. Oh, yeah. Um, Wait, flowers White. by Bowers. Do you okay. know them? I, I uh, We were like Whitehall, Jarrettsville. Oh, I didn't really know Jarrettsville. I just know you drive up Jarrettsville Pike, and then you get to an ice cream shop, and you make a right. <laughs> That's where they are. That's about um, how you give directions in Jarrettsville. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It's just like drive for 20 minutes, get to the ice cream shop, turn right. Yeah. They've been there like 60 years, uh-huh. um, and they grow in greenhouses up there. And actually, all their flowers are grown – I have so many stories about flowers um, – hydroponically. So they're not in soil. They're just in water, and the water is sort of enriched with vitamins and flower food. And um, I think there's some people who sort of – look down on hydroponic growing because that a lot of growers, once they use that water, then dump it in the ground and it gets in the groundwater and it goes in the Chesapeake and causes all kinds of problems. But Flowers by Bowers um, captures all of that water and recycles it and reuses it at their farm. So there's no environmental impact in terms of hydroponic growing there. And that color, I mean, it's like that poppy bright. Oh, yeah, that it's bright beautiful. red. Mm-hmm. That red is like really like that's our valentine's day color right mm-hmm. there and then we've got tulips which are grown um in westminster or in union bridge um those are our maryland grown tulips and we've got paper whites they're from montgomery county um and freesia which is another fragrant flower um from pennsylvania um, i love that you have this bouquet of flowers it's also this bouquet of farms yeah just to be able to talk i always say like every bouquet has a story and i think for certainly for us, and we try to convey that to our our clients, is like it's not just flowers. It's real farmers and real people's lives and real stories and real challenges, and all of that goes into this little beautiful bouquet, and you get to take it home and have it on your kitchen table. As if flowers could get lovelier. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) It's really really cool. It's a lot of fun. And using local stuff, it never gets boring because every week we sort of have different stuff to use. So Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm certain – well, you said there are lots of podcasts about flowers, so yeah. you know we could keep talking about flowers. Yes. <laughs> but we should probably get some of the five questions. Sure. And <laughs> I'm sure I'll be like emailing I, Every you. time I talk at like a garden club, they're like, okay, you've got 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, somebody stop me at 45 minutes because these stories could go on forever. Well, I didn't – I don't think I fully – as much as I could, I appreciated that you source locally, mm-hmm. but I feel grateful to know – so much more about it How now. it all works. It's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, that said, yeah. where's your favorite place to have dinner in Baltimore? Um, well, my favorite place, I have to say, is – one of my favorite places is the food market. Uh, we do flowers for the food market, and we go there a lot, and mm-hmm. we love them. Love the food. Love Hamden. Love the people there. It's just one of our favorite fabulous spots. And – we go there Wednesday nights. We close at 8. I have to say, I go to bed like at 8.30. That sounds amazing. Almost every night. Um, but on Wednesdays, we usually go to the food market after we're done at 8 o'clock. So that's like my one night out Ooh. where I like stay out till like <laughs> <Crazy> 9.30. <lady. laughs> um, yeah, and they have great breakfast. We go on Fridays when there's nobody like really there. And yeah, love it. 
Good choice. Yeah. Uh, favorite place to get a drink? Um, I don't drink anymore. Okay. So um, my favorite. old favorite place to get a drink was Grand Cru, and I still go to Grand Cru quite a lot, Yeah. Um, even though I don't drink alcohol, but I do get other lovely drinks and snacks there. Sure. Yeah. Good Grand Cru is my spot. I like Grand Cru. I, I like can walk there, so um, that's the oh, best so you're part super, about it. Oh, from, from your house? Yeah, or from, from the house. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Very nice. Favorite place to be outside? Um, in Baltimore, my favorite place to be outside is probably on my front porch. Um, that is one of my one of the reasons why we bought that house. We've been there, I don't know how long, 12 or 13 years. Um, and it's just like a little bungalow with a tiny front porch. But when it's nice enough, that's where I spend all my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm not on my front porch outside, you know, farms are generally my favorite spot to be outside. As long as you're not farming them. As long as I'm just visiting. <laughs> right. Yes, as long as I'm not working. Uh, favorite place to buy a gift? Favorite place to buy a gift... Probably Trove. Yeah, that's probably my favorite gift spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the last podcast, uh, which will actually air after yours, uh-huh. we discussed how we might have to change the favorite place to buy a gift. Because that's the only it, one that everybody says. Yeah. We get a couple of different answers, but I mean. Yeah, Trove's great. Yeah. Truman's so great. Good. Everybody's yeah. great. I, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then we need to think of your oh, yeah. unique fifth question. Uh, I do have a question that isn't about your favorite. Okay. Have you ever not had flowers in your house? Has there ever been like a moment where you – All the time. Really? Every year, my New Year's resolution is to have flowers in the house. You have to and remind yourself to Not only do I have to remind myself, I have to have the resolution every year. Oh, my gosh. Um, Make your resolution of flowers in my house. I know. Seriously. <laughs> um, yes. There are lots – most days there are not flowers in my house. Um, I have a little flower garden at my house, so sometimes I cut flowers if they're blooming at the house. Um, and if something – like last week we had our first butterfly ranunculus and it's totally – it's a totally new flower. I'd never seen it before, ever. And it just grew in your – No. Oh, 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 no, oh, no. Okay. A farmer – no, no. Oh, that would be great. Like, that sounds pretty <laughs> <That's> so incredible. <laughs> no. A, a farmer that we work with a lot, Butterbee Farm, they're just in Pikesville. They built a heated greenhouse last year. They've only been in business five years. They built a heated greenhouse, and in this heated greenhouse, they grew all this stuff to sell in the winter, which is always a challenge for us to buy stuff in the winter. And they started um, growing a new flower, a new type of ranunculus that we had never seen before. It's new to the market um, called butterfly ranunculus. And so we got the first one last week, and that I took home because I just – loved it and I had never seen it and wanted to enjoy it. So you need to be impressed to bring it home. I need sort of need to be impressed. Like if good it date. smells good, I can I can take it home. I have my friend Irene, Irene Donnelly. Oh yeah. Um, yes. She worked for us for many years mm-hmm. and she owns Dylan's um, oyster cellar and she's a potter and I have lots of wonderful vases of hers. So when stuff's really good at the shop, I will take one of her vases and make myself a little something to yeah. take home. So I have tiki um, Oh yeah, the tiki glasses. That I've I have reappropriated for flowers. Oh yeah, yeah, like that's perfect. So much. That's a good. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, they're, her they're tiki glasses are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do treat myself once in a while, but most days there are not flowers at this, mm. at this house. But the shop is full, so I get to see them most days. That's true. Yeah. Can you think of a favorite? Favorite perennial. Oh, favorite perennial. Hmm, good one. Um, favorite perennial. Show off. <laughs> I know you're like perennial. What is? This? What are you talking about? Uh, favorite perennial. Uh. For myself to grow, I would say Solomon's seal. I know, right? 
it's a it's a foliage, mostly a foliage that comes in like late April, early May when there's like no foliage around. And it's so lovely. It has like a sort of arching shape and these sort of um, round but then pointy leaves that are variegated like bright green and dark green. And then they have these little tiny white like little droplet flowers on them. Um, they're really they're really lovely. So maybe that's maybe that's my favorite. There's also weirdly a perennial um, sunflower called um, Sunshine Daydream, which I just like because it's a Grateful Dead song. And I don't know. It just reminds me of them. So <laughs> those are my two good perennials. Thank you so much for talking to us. I learned a lot. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about flowers. Thank you so much to the absolutely lovely Ellen Frost. You can find her company Local Color Flowers at Local Color Flowers on Instagram or L-O-C-O-F-L-O dot com on the internet. For past Hey Baltimore episodes and all the cool stuff happening downtown, go to our site, GoDowntownBaltimore.com. Hey Baltimore is produced by Mike Evitz and made possible by the Downtown Partnership. Our theme music is Artificial Sin by Super City. I'm your host, Megan Eisenach. If you want to reach out, email us at heybaltimore at dpob.org. And thank you for listening. <laughs>